Hello, good to see everybody. Come on, smile, let me smile. Before I tell you who I am, I'm honored to have the people that are watching online. So let me share with you who all is watching. Well, not who they are, but where they're from. Uh, we have a couple right down the street, Netherlands and El Salvador. <laughs> Massachusetts, we got Tennessee, Maine, Virginia, uh, Connecticut, North Carolina, New York, Hawaii. It's, so let me tell you a funny thing. Well, Hawaii, Michigan, and Georgia. So last service, there was a bunch up there. Most all of them were abbreviations, and they had Hawaii's abbreviation. And I was like, what's H-I? So they spelled it out. So thank you, tech team. I love you, Popes. Thank you for all you do, Darren and them. Appreciate you making it easy on me. Well, hey, we're glad you're here. My name is Michael Singer, and I am a pastor here at the church. I'm at our Lake Norman campus. Uh, typically, that's where I'm pastoring at. But I'm also part of our teaching team. And all that means is that we have three physical locations. We have a group of people, and we just like to make sure that at every campus, there's a live communicator. So I am honored to get to be here with you all today at Central Campus, where it all started for me. And so while you're clapping, let's give a little hand clap to honor our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, for their vision and all that they do to lead us. You know, we're coming up on that time of year, that day called Thanksgiving, uh, where you can take a single plate, get as many small portions of everything that you want, and still feed three people. Just, I tell myself every time, small portion, small portion, and the plate is full, and I don't have room for everything else. Um, but I want to, uh, before we get into this message today, I want us to all do something together. I want you to take your finger, and I want you to look up to the ceiling and just point up. Now, I want you to repeat this after me. Say, God, you're here, God, you're here. And, I'm here. and I'm here. What do you want to say to me? All right, we're in this series called Faith Over Fear. And I love this series because the whole principle behind it is that fear easily and sometimes very sneakily can come in and make us think that, you know what, I'm doing the right thing, but maybe fear is guiding our actions or our thoughts or our decisions in that moment. So fear can be sneaky, but I think sometimes fear can just be blatantly obvious. I want to share with you some of my own personal, this is personal, so it's my selfish opinion, my personal opinion of what I think are some examples of obvious uh, reactions and operations of fear. You've probably noticed the weather is getting colder in the south. And what happens when there's a threat of ice or snow or anything like that? We decide that we're going to eat all the bread on the planet. If we're lactose intolerant, we all of a sudden become tolerant. We buy all the milk off the shelves but you'll see people flood to the grocery stores and empty stuff out. I don't know if we empty out rice or not, but I grew up in Louisiana, and rice is great for sticking to your bones. So let's all make a trend. We're all just going to take all the rice in every store, right, and cook rice. But it's, it's interesting because you see people act frantically, and they do things that just don't make sense. Like, you don't need seven loaves of bread for the next two days. But for some reason, we feel like we do. It's a threat of it. I mean, I'm not, it's not even on the ground. It's a threat. And we still are emptying out everything. Another one for me that's an obvious kind of outplay reaction to fear. I, this might have happened multiple, multiple times, but there's a number of years back. I remember it vividly. It was the threat that we were going to not have any gasoline. Oh, dear Lord. If you went to a gas station, you spent an hour to two hours sitting in line probably only for the gas station to shut down right before you got up to pump your gas. If they had not said anything to anyone, 
I truly believe people would have gotten gas like normal and maybe a gas pump or a station or two maybe would have ran out. Here's the problem with everybody flooding to get gas. Whenever the gas is empty, it doesn't just fill up like that. A tanker truck has to get there. So in one day, in 25 minutes, if we empty the gas out, we're not gonna be seeing gas there for a while. I still don't think in the midst of all that that we totally ran out of gas. Like, I don't think it ever all ran out. There were gas stations that definitely ran out of gas. But fear, it caused us to go and pump gas like crazy people, filling up gas cans and everything. The last one, which we should all really be familiar with, was a couple years ago with the toilet paper. Remember that? I remember that toilet paper thing? Toilet paper. Now, I don't know about your circles of friends or people you know, but the people I know that had COVID, I never heard anybody say they were having bowel movements 20 times a day. Like, man, COVID has got me on the toilet, son. Some very other serious uh, circumstances and, and um, what is it, symptoms. But none were, I got to go to the bathroom all the time. And yet, we had enough toilet paper to build seven houses and three trucks inside our own house. It just shows you that fear can just take over and cause us to operate and act and do things that don't really line up with God's best, sometimes even God's common sense that we should operate in a little more fluently. I want to read to you a scripture that is really the backbone scripture for this whole series. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through seven. Paul is encouraging Timothy as a young leader, and he says this, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Instead, he's given us one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That fear, when you look at that word, it means a lack of courage. God has not given us, God does not desire us as believers and have a relationship with him to walk with a lack of courage in life. It doesn't mean things aren't going to happen. It's just having the courage when they're happening to step into it. He didn't want us to operate like that. Instead, he wants us to operate in the power, love, and sound mind that he's called us to. All those examples that I gave you about the fear and people reacting and it being obvious, for me, that is not sound mind. That is being emotionally driven and operating out of an emotion of fear. So what God desires is for us not to allow the spirit of fear, but to have power, love, and a sound mind. I wanna talk to you, if, if faith really is intended by God to be over fear, then how in the world do we get to it? I wanna talk to you about a tool that we have. We don't have to use it, but it's been given to us and we can use it. But it's a tool that's valuable when it comes to allowing faith to operate over fear. And that tool is prayer. I want to share with you a statement that I want you to leave here with. If you forget everything else, I want you to remember this statement. Prayer burns the bridge of fear and opens the door of faith. Prayer burns the bridge of fear and opens the door of faith. When we decide to pray and operate in faith through that tool of prayer, there are fear bridges that are trying to connect us to things that God never wanted us to be connected to. 
There are emotions that God never wanted us leading us. There are situations and responses that fear is trying to cause us to act and operate in. It's a bridge trying to connect us to something that God never intended. But as soon as we begin to pray, we strike a match and we light that bridge on fire. And we step into a room that is full of faith where now we can clearly see what God says he wants us to do, how he wants us to act, how he wants us to operate, what he wants us to think in this situation, how he wants us to walk through with courage whenever fear tries to come and take hold of us. I want to go back to the Old Testament today, and I want to start by looking at Ezra. And before we read some, some verses in Ezra, I want to set up what's going on with God's chosen people, the people that have a relationship with him, the children of Israel. You see, the children of Israel, when you read the Old Testament, there are many times, probably like us, that they are going after God, love God, worshiping him, and then there are other times they get wrapped up in everything around them, and they like what other people are doing in the cultures. They kind of turn their back on God. Well, there's been a time where they have chosen just not to walk with God and follow him. So what happens is the Babylonians come in. This is around 606, 607 BC. The Babylonians come in, and they conquer the Israelites, they take out Judah, and then about 20 years later, they have taken over Jerusalem, which is the holy city. It's where the temple is. It's where all the Jews go to offer sacrifice and connect with God and worship God. They take the temple and they destroy it. They take a lot of the Jewish people captive, and they take them away into exile to different places. But they destroy the temple, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he steals, you know, stuff from the temple, precious, you know, stones and gold and all these things, takes it from the temple. Now, there was a prophecy that said after 70 years of being in exile, that there would be a remnant of Jews that would go back and they would rebuild the temple. So at the 70 year mark, the Babylonians get overtaken by the Persians. And there's a king named Cyrus a Persian king who wants to make sure that he fulfills that prophecy. So he says to some of the Jewish people, I want you to go back and be the first ones back from exile, and I want you to rebuild your temple as it says in your word. And that's what they did. They went back to rebuild the temple. And here's what it says in Ezra chapter three, verse three, as they were beginning to build the temple. It says, despite their fear of the peoples around them, so fear's present right here for the Israelites rebuilding, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Here's what we have to understand about the way the Israelites back then connected with God. The way that they connected and entered into God's presence was through a lot of sacrifices. If they had sinned, they would constantly offer sacrifices for their sins. This was their way that they would connect with God. They would show up to the temple, and the way the temple was set up, they had some outer courts and stuff, but then they had this tent that was the holy place. They could go in, and priests would make sacrifices for the offerings, but inside this holy place, this tent within this big space, there was this curtain that created a separate little room, and that was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Now, the only person who could go in there was the high priest, the top priest, and he could only do it once a year. The reason why is because that's where the presence of God was. If anybody who was not supposed to be in there went in there, they would automatically die. 
Matter of fact, the high priest in that one time a year to offer that sacrifice, when he would go into that most holy place where the presence of God rests, he had to have incense and smoke and things burning so that he didn't directly see God's presence. Otherwise, he would pass out. They would tie a rope to their leg and they would drag them out if they did. Do you have a rope on your leg today? No, check. See if you got a rope on your leg. That's how they had to worship. That was how they got into the presence of God and were able to enjoy his presence. But it's not like that for us today. You don't come in here. We don't have a curtain. You don't have to come up here and bring sacrifices. How is it for us? Why is it different? And how does it tie back to the way that they used to enter into the presence of God? I'm glad you asked because Hebrews actually explains it very well. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 11 to 14, it says this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's what I just told you about. This was how they uh, worship God and offer for their sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has been made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. They used to offer sacrifices all the time repetitively because they never could offer enough to actually cover their sins. But then when Jesus came as the ultimate high priest, that we no longer have to go repetitively because he offered a sacrifice that would cover all our sins. First John 1, 9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what it means to confess our sins? It does not mean we have to go to a high priest anymore. What it means is that we simply talk to God and say, God, I have sinned. And the reason why we can is because of what Jesus did for us. We don't have to go through someone else for God's presence. We can go to his presence ourselves. We can go to him in prayer and automatically be in his presence. Part of uh, what happened when Jesus died, I told you about the most holy place that had the curtain. When he died, it says that curtain ripped, which was representative of our access now to the presence of God that we didn't have to go through anybody because Jesus died once and for all. Here's what it continues to say in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 20, talking about this most holy place and our our, uh, relationship to it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. So his body now is that curtain that allows us to come into God's presence freely. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, talking about Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There's a portion of that scripture I want to point out. It says that we draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that, that, uh, that faith brings. I don't know if when you were a kid or maybe you have kids, if you were ever scared of storms, Uh, but if you are familiar with that or have kids that have done that, uh, when their storms come, they usually run and want to be with their parents or be in their room. So our daughter, uh, she sometimes storms will freak her out a little bit. 
So she, when the storm comes and she's in her room, she would at those times run into our room in the middle of the night and say, mom and daddy, I can't sleep. I'm scared. Can I sleep in the bed with y'all? And then one of two things would happen. Either we'd say, we'd put her mat on the ground, her gymnastics mat and a cover and blanket and pillow and say, all right, baby, well, you can sleep down there. Or she would get in the bed with us, in which case I would exit to the living room and sleep on the couch. It's too many people in the bed to be sleeping like that. Do you know that our daughter would just sleep sound? Do you also know that the storm never stopped? You know what that tells me? When she was by herself and not in the presence of her parents, she was afraid and could not find rest. However, when she got in the presence of her parents, she was no longer afraid and could find rest even when the storm was going. Do you know that's what God offers us? He says, when fear comes, it's going to try to keep you out of my presence. But if you'll just pray, you'll burn that bridge and you'll find my peace. So I want to talk today about a guy named Nehemiah. Because I've talked about that prayer burns the bridge of fear and it opens the door to faith. So how does it do that and why is prayer so important? I think when we look at Nehemiah and what he did, I think we see a lot of great principles about prayer and we see a lot of reasons why that prayer should be something important and brings us into the presence of God and should be a tool that is helping us when fear and anxiety and stress and worry, when they all try to come and take our attention. So before we get to Nehemiah, um, this is about 100 years after the temple had started being built. So the temple was built, what we just talked about in Ezra, uh, and it's finished. And then we're about 100 years later, and Nehemiah is in Judah. And Nehemiah runs into his friend, Hanani, and he asks him, hey, Hanani, tell me about what's going on in Jerusalem, the holy city. Heard the temple was rebuilt, but how is everybody doing? And this is the response from his friends in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, this is Nehemiah talking, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah asked a simple question. Hey, how are our brothers and sisters doing in Jerusalem? How are things going? And the response is not good. They are worked up. They are worried. There's fret, all this stuff, reproach. They are not doing well. Part of the reason they're not doing well is because though the temple is rebuilt, all the city walls are still burned down and the, the gates are torn up and broken. They're no good. So anybody could come in and attack them at any time. I love Nehemiah because he doesn't go, oh my gosh, tell me more. What's going on? What can we do? He doesn't get frantic. He teaches us a lesson about prayer. He teaches us that when fear tries to come, the greatest thing we can do is to initiate with prayer. The first thing Nehemiah does is he initiates with prayer. It says he stopped, he mourned for a long time, and he prayed to God. It was the very first thing he did. You know, we've been talking about this whole month about our kingdom builders. And we've got these cars, and Adam talked about it. 
But what I love about this and what we've talked about out the gate is that this is an offering for you and your family. It requires prayer. Do you know tithing doesn't require prayer? When I'm in my house, I don't have to pray to say, God, should I wash these dishes? God, should I wash these clothes? God, should I clean up? No, that's a response from what I've been given. It's just a normal, it's the obedience to do what I'm called to do. As a homeowner and as somebody who likes to chow down and eat, I got dishes. That's just what my response is. Now, if my wife and I decide that we want to add on to our house or we want to do a major renovation, we probably need to pray. God, is this the timing financially, the best timing for us to do this? God, how do you want us to go about this? God, who should we call to help in this process? That's when you pray. That's what Kingdom Builders is. Tithing is just a simple response. I'm a believer. This is what I've re, re, uh, re, returning, thank you. This is what I'm returning to God, just like I'm gonna wash my dishes and keep up with my own house. This is gonna help the house I'm a part of. But Kingdom Builders is something that you pray about and say, God, what would you have me do? Because you can do anything that you feel like God tells you to do, you and your family. It's not about the amount or what you do. It's about our obedience to God. So when you're by yourself or with your family and you're praying, pray for this first. Pray for Kingdom Builders. Pray for what you're called to do. Nehemiah would say, initiate with prayer. It's the first thing. Don't be afraid that the church is asking for money again. Just pray and see what God wants to do with you and kingdom builders. And we see that from Nehemiah. And I love what Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven says, reiterating this idea of going to prayer first. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you know what fear tries to attack? It tries to attack the peace that we have access to in our heart and in our mind. That's why Philippians says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. When you feel like you're getting anxious, when you feel like you're getting worried, when fear's trying to come in, then pray. Burn the bridge that it's trying to connect you to. Step into that room of faith, and when you step into that room, I want you to understand there's a peace in that room, and it'll, it'll cover your head, your mind, and it will protect your heart from allowing fear to take you down a road or connect you to things that God never intended. So Nehemiah has just prayed, prayed this long prayer, asked for forgiveness for him and all the people not following God. He's praying, and at the end, he says, hey, and lastly, will you have favor on me because I am the cupbearer to the king? Now listen, as the cupbearer to the king, this did not mean that Nehemiah and the king were boys. Like they hung out and Nehemiah could just walk them and say, what's going on, king? I got something to tell you. It wasn't like that. Nehemiah was a lowly servant that would make sure the, the drinks and stuff weren't poisoned before he gave it to the king. So he was protective of the king. So he didn't just show up in the king's presence any kind of way. His countenance, his demeanor, everything had to be a certain way or he knew that he could potentially die. So he's about to go in front of the king, but remember, he's still sad about what's going on and he has a hard time not showing that he's sad and upset about his 
brothers, sisters, friends, other Israelites in Jerusalem and the walls being torn down. So we pick up in Nehemiah chapter two, verses two through four, and it says this. Therefore, the king said to me, to Nehemiah, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. Listen to Nehemiah. So I became dreadfully afraid. He was dreadfully afraid because he's like, this could go one of two ways. I shouldn't have shown up like this and the king can see that I'm upset. He might kill me. And he said to the king, may the king live forever. It's always good when you're nervous about being killed to start with honor. Oh, yes, sir. Great one. (laughs) Kiss a little honey if you have to. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Didn't we just hear that Nehemiah prayed his tail off? He just prayed forever to God. And then he goes before the king and everything turns out okay. But now he's praying again before he answers the king's question. Here's what I love. Not only does Nehemiah understand to initiate with prayer, but we also have to remain continuous in prayer. We can't stop. It has to be something that is continuous. There was this guy uh, who had a relationship with God, but he had decided to step away from church for many years. He wasn't really talking to God, wasn't engaging in his relationship with God. He kind of was doing his own thing. Some of his buddies decided they wanted to go fishing one day, so they all go out fishing, and none of his buddies had ever had a relationship with God, didn't go to church or anything like that, nothing at all. And so they're out there fishing, and a bad storm comes, and it gets bad enough to where they're getting worried that they might not make it back. One of his friends comes to him and says, hey, man, you're a Christian. Will you pray for us? And he's like, man, I don't know if that's such a good idea. He's like, I have not been to church in 15 years. Matter of fact, when I stopped going to church, I, had a, I haven't even been talking to God in my relationship with him. I haven't even talked to him in 15 years. He's like, I don't know if God is going to be listening to me right now since I haven't been talking with him. But he goes, you know what? I'll give it a shot. So the man looked up to the sky and he said, God, I know it's been a long time. It's been 15 years since I've talked to you. But God, if, man, just this one time, this one time, if you will help us out of this situation, I promise I will not bother you for another 15 years. Don't we do that, though? Things in life get hard, get tough. Maybe we find ourselves a little anxious, a little worried, a little afraid. God, will you please help me? I don't know what I'm going to do. I just lost my job. God, will you help me? God, I just broke up with this person. God, I promise I'll never date a knuckleheaded guy again. I promise I'll look for somebody that loves you. And we do that. We pray and we ask for God. And then maybe we get something and we're like, all right, I'll wait till the next time. And we just step away from connecting with God in prayer and being continuous in that. Nehemiah reminds us, hey, look, it don't matter how much you prayed leading into it, while you're going through it, there are going to be moments where we got to stop and say, all right, God, he asked what I wanted. I need your help. Give me the strength to just be honest and tell the king exactly what is needed during this time. The story goes on, and 
Nehemiah and them are now back building the walls and the king has given them everything they needed and had these other leaders give them supplies and people who are uh, part of the Israelites, they have even chipped in to build this back, kind of like kingdom builders. They've chipped in their own resources to help build all this stuff back. And these other leaders that are in Jerusalem that aren't Jewish, they begin to laugh and make fun of them. Oh, look at the Jews, those feeble little people. They think they're gonna rebuild this massive wall. And if you ever wanna... If you ever want to hear about a great project manager, just read how Nehemiah got this wall rebuilt. You can do that on your own. It's crazy how he got it rebuilt. But they're making fun of him. You'll never make this happen. But then all of a sudden, they begin to notice that the Jews are doing pretty good. Nehemiah is a project manager. He's handling business and stuff is being taken care of. And this wall is building quickly. And so they went from making fun of them to change their attitude a little bit. And here's what we read in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. We're going to talk about these leaders here. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Listen to this. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We find Nehemiah praying again. What I love about this is these guys finally said, you know what? They're making too much progress. Now we're going to all join together and fight them. Now remember, they're building a wall. They don't have guns and swords and all this stuff at this time. They're just building a wall. And then you hear, oh my gosh, we're going to get attacked. Nehemiah didn't frantic. He didn't go, oh my gosh, everybody get your stuff. Leave, go back to your house and hide. Just stay far away. I'll tell you when it's safe to come back out. We're so scared. Just everybody get out, get off the wall. Stop building. Stop doing what you're doing. He didn't do that. It says he prayed and then they set up people to stand guard. Here's what I love about what we see that happens whenever we pray. Prayer guards against overreactions. Prayer guards against us overreacting. Anybody here ever overreact to anything? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, then you overreacted. <laughs> I have. I remember one time, Jalea and I were uh, driving. Somebody said something to me in the lobby that made me think of this story. Jalea and I were driving on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Y'all ever been on the Blue Ridge Parkway? Uh, I will say this, don't ever get on the Blue Ridge Parkway without a good tank of gas, because it's hard to get off. We're driving on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and we come to this tunnel, and they tell you, make sure your headlights are on when you enter the tunnel, because it's dark. And you know, I have, my vehicle I'm driving, it's one of those, you crank it up, and the lights are just automatically on. Most vehicles are like that nowadays. So we're driving, and uh, we get into the tunnel, and it's dark. So dark. For a moment, I was like, are my headlights not on? Now, I will say this. The headlights are real fogged up, and they don't produce great light. Well, Jalea got scared and began to go, turn the headlights on, do that. And so as she began to react and get a little over on that reaction, what did I do? I didn't pray. I didn't stay peaceful. I overreacted back. Will you stop yelling at me? I'm trying to find these headlights. I thought they were on or off. We're just going back and forth. <laughs> Frantic. Because we were scared. And that's what happens in life. When we don't pray, 
We overreact to situations. We overreact to people. We let our emotions take over and we respond in a way that's way over top. It doesn't match the scenario at all. It's a whole different ball game, whole different playing field, and we just get frantic and we lose it. And I've been there. You know what prayer does? Prayer has a way of just going, all right, everything's gonna be okay, God. Help me to see clearly what I need to see because some things right now feel real bad. Show me the things that are good that are going on. Show me the things I can be thankful for and let me go into this at a place of peace. That's where we strike that match and we say, fear, sorry, you're not gonna connect me to overreaction right now. I'm gonna burn that bridge so I can step into that room of faith and go, all right, God, this is tough. This is hard. This is not easy. This hurts, but I'm gonna be able to walk through it with your strength and make it through. We initiate that prayer. We keep it up. And we realize that now we're not overreacting anymore because we've stepped in and utilized that tool of prayer. So the story goes on. They don't attack because, you know, Nehemiah and them plan. He didn't just sit back and just pray and go, all right, God, we're going to trust you. He said, God, we're going to trust you, but we're also going to do something and we're going to act normally. Well, then the leaders get mad. And remember, I told you at the beginning, I said fear can be sneaky sometimes. It can kind of creep in like you think it's good. So they decided that they were going to try to meet up with Nehemiah and sneakily try to just get fear back in the picture. So they sent four letters to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, every time they sent a letter, he responded and said, sorry, guys, I got way too much going on with this project. I don't have time to meet up with y'all. So then they sent a fifth letter, but this time they sent it with a messenger. And the messenger reads it, and the letter basically says, hey, if you don't stop this project, we heard that you're trying to, the Jews are trying to take over and strike fear, and you want to be king of Judah, and there's already a king of Judah, and we're going to let him know that you're trying to take his spot. How do you think he's going to respond to that, Nehemiah? And here's the interesting thing. The place they wanted to meet Nehemiah and have this meeting was called the Plain of Ono. If anybody ever invites you to the Plain of Ono, don't go. Because when you show up, you're going to be like, oh no, I shouldn't have come to this meeting right now at all. They were just out to get me. But Nehemiah said, no, I'm not going to go to that. And he sends a reply back. This is Nehemiah's reply. I love this. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it all up out of your head. You ever have people just make stuff out of their head about you? They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. I love this. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. You see, Nehemiah had already told them, I don't need to meet with y'all. You're wasting my time. We're good. We've been praying. We're in faith. But even in the midst of Nehemiah not being shaken and worried about the Jews finishing the, the thing, he still said, you know what? You want to try to inject fear and cause us to think that we don't have the strength to finish? I'm going to burn that. And I'm going to pray. And I'm actually going to pray for the very thing that fear is trying to rob me of. I'm going to pray against and do the opposite. God, I pray that you will strengthen 
my hands. Here's what I love that we see about prayer right here. We see that prayer keeps us from growing weary. Prayer keeps us from growing weary. Where are you weary today? Are you weary in relationship? Are you weary with just trying to have a good relationship with a family member? Are you weary in trying to love people when they're hard to love? Are you weary in just trying to share over and over your boundary and your stance to somebody? Are you weary at being a Christian and are you weary in your relationship with God? Have you been weary in church? Maybe you've been in church, you've been involved and you got connected and then maybe you've done it so long you're just tired. Do you feel weary? Like, do you feel exhausted? Are you just tired of it? When we get that way, God says, are you praying? Because when you pray, I'm not saying everything's going to go away. I'm not saying that that relationship is still not going to be hard. I'm not saying that you're not going to have to give up some things. I'm not saying that you're not going to have to understand what it means to sacrifice a little bit. But what I am saying is, is that I won't allow you to grow weary. I won't allow you to stay that way. I won't allow you to continue to feel defeated. I'll remind you that that bridge is burned. And when you step into faith, I have an entire new door, a place where you can come and you can find rest. You can find a peace. And that stuff that's trying to get into your mind and that stuff that's trying to invade your heart when you're feeling weary, it will have no more authority in that part of your life. And you'll step into this place of faith and you'll feel my peace. And it'll be a peace that you can't get from anywhere else. It'll be a peace that helps sustain you, that helps grow you. It'll be a peace that helps you keep walking when you feel weary and not giving up. If you will, stand to your feet with me. I want to share this last scripture with you. It's Psalm 34, verse 4. It says, I sought the Lord. You know what that means? It means I prayed. I prayed. I decided to have a connection. I went and got in God's presence. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Did you hear that? He delivered us from all our fears. I don't care what is trying to have control over you. What fear is trying to make you think it's bigger than God? It is not. The psalmist here says, I connected, I prayed, and he delivered me from all my fears. No matter how many bridges of fear are trying to be connected to your life, no matter what it's trying to get you to do, no matter how it's trying to get you to respond, just pray. Just get in God's presence. And he promises that he will deliver us from all our fears. That was Old Testament. They didn't have Jesus when they made that statement. We have Jesus, that we have connection with God. How much more can we step in to his presence? Can we run to his presence and experience the freedom that he has for us? That fear no more has control over us. And faith brings us to a space where we have peace, where we have sound judgment, where we have power, and where we have love. If you will, close your eyes with me. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, when Jesus died, 
He did give us access to God where we don't have to go through anyone. But the Bible also is clear that he stands at the door and knocks. You see, we have a door that we have closed. God has opened every door, access to him, but we have doors that are closed to him. And God is knocking. And he's saying, will you open the door of your life to me? Will you give me space to come in and overwhelm that fear and show you a faith that could change your life forever? If that's you and you don't have a relationship with God, he desperately wants to know you. All you have to do is believe and receive that today. And it's simple. All you have to do is say a prayer. And I'm going to do that in a moment. But before we do, I want to see who we're praying for. So if you're here and you want that relationship, just raise your hand up and say, God, I need that relationship. I'm tired of walking on my own. I'm tired of running in fear. I want that relationship with you. I don't see any hands. Anybody, I see your hand in the back. Thank you. I see your hand over here, ma'am. Thank you. See your hand, sir. Thank you. Are you here and fear has taken over an area that you, you just recognize you haven't given God authority? We're going to pray in a minute. And as we pray, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. Everybody that raised their hand, everybody that is in here, if you have your hand on your heart or you don't and you're just here, we're all going to join together. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say it loud. Say, God, I love you. And I thank you for loving me. You showed that by sending your son to die for me and be raised from the dead for me. No longer will fear build a bridge in my life. Through prayer, I burn that bridge. I step into faith. I have power. I have love. And I have a sound mind. In Jesus' name, amen.